0: I've shared this quote with you before, but it's been said that if the the Bible was a ring, then the book of Romans could be its most precious jewel, and that the 8th chapter of the book of Romans would be the sparkling point of the jewel. And that's where we are, here in Romans chapter 8. And so if you have a Bible, then I want to encourage you to open up your Bible to Romans chapter 8. If you you do not have a, a Bible with you, then... Under a chair near you is a black one. It looks like this. We'll be on page nine hundred forty-four in the black Bibles, and we are only going to look at two verses today. Just, just two verses. Um, I, I, at first, I thought it was going to be six, and then I thought it was going to be four, and then I, you know, I decided it needs to be two. It needs to be two. A- although the, uh, you know, the two, I guess, political. Uh, conventions did remind me that you can speak for a really long time if you want to. And, uh, but I decided we're, we're, I think these two verses have enough for us. And these, these two verses, Romans 8, 12 and 13, two verses tucked away tucked away in the middle of this glorious chapter. In so many ways, will not tell you anything that many of you do not already know. However, I think if we have ears to hear, then you will find that these two verses could be two of the most important verses for actually living the Christian life well. So please follow along as I read Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. Now this is the word of the Lord. And it is absolutely true. And even these two verses are given to us in love for our good. Now we're going to look at these, you know, a passage with just two verses. We've got to have, you know, at at least two points. and That's what we have, two points. But one point has lots of points, so it's actually a lot of points. But the, uh, the two points, one for each verse, the first is the paramount debt that we owe, that's verse 12, and then the paradox of death leading to life, that's verse 13. So let's begin with this paramount debt that we owe. Look at verse 12 with me. Paul says, so then, brothers, and so then let's just stop there. He says, so then, brothers, and I think what he is doing here is he says, okay, I'm about to tell you something really important. But before I go on that rant, which is really going to ramp up towards the end of Romans 8, before I do, I want you to stop and think about everything that I've just said to you in the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8. So, so then, brothers, so in light of all that I've said to you, before we just skip past it, because those were a lot of great things, I want you to think about them one more time. And So I think that's what we should do. To so then, brothers, so friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's think back to what Paul has said to us so far in Romans chapter 8. Let's just hit the highlights, beginning with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That what Paul began with was that if you are in Christ, then all of the condemnation that, that we deserve because of our sin has been removed from us and put on Jesus. That he took to the cross with him and he died to pay for it all. To remove it from us today and for forever. No condemnation. And then we have verse 2 where Paul writes, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That Paul says that if we're in Christ Jesus, not only is there no more condemnation, but he says that we've been liberated. We've been liberated from the law or the rule and reign of sin and death And that we are now under a new arrangement. We're now under a new management of the spirit of life. You see, this takes us all the way back even further than the beginning of Romans 8. Back to Romans chapter 6. Where the Apostle Paul spent a lot of time talking about our union with Christ. If you've been with us, do you remember that? Our union with Christ. Which is such an important theological doctrine. Which says that if we are in Christ by faith. The death Jesus died has become our death, and His resurrection to new life has become our resurrection to new life. So our union with Christ means that we are no longer who we once were. We're now new people. We're now new create new creatures, new creations. Remember what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. We know that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And so what Paul's saying here is that we are no longer in volume 1 of our life. That's the old life. That's who we were before we came to know Christ. And volume one has been closed. To never be reopened ever again. We're not who we once were. No longer enslaved to sin. We're now living in volume two. In volume two, we're no longer enslaved to sin's tyrannical and domineering power. So Paul says, so then, brothers, remember, don't forget, don't just skip past it. Because it matters, okay, about what I've already said to you matters and is relevant to what I'm going to say to you next, okay, in verse 13, don't forget that condemnation has been removed. Don't forget that you've been liberated from slavery to sin. And he says, don't forget what what I said to you in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. He says, don't forget that Jesus has come to dwell in you, to take up residence in you, to move in with you. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And that has made you alive. Made you spiritually alive. Made you alive to things of God. Made you alive to God's Word. He says, don't forget that. And he says, don't forget what I said in verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He says, don't forget. Don't forget about that condemnation's been removed. Don't forget you've been liberated from sin's power. Don't forget that you have the presence of the Holy Spirit living in you now. And don't forget what I've already told you about your future. And that one day, yeah, you'll die, but you're going to be resurrected from the grave, raised from the grave by God to be with Him for all eternity, the new heavens and the new earth. Don't forget about all of this. And so he says, so then, brothers... In light of all of that, we are debtors. We are debtors. Now, that's not the word that I would have chosen to use there. I might would say, so we are thankful. But he says we are debtors. But then debtors to whom? And Remember, remember the categories that Paul has been using in Romans 8, right? Drawing really two circles. The two categories are of the flesh, of the Spirit. In Christ, not in Christ. The absence of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit. In the flesh or in the Spirit. And so Paul really asks us to think about this. Think about all that I've said and consider the fact that we are debtors. But debtors to whom? Is it the flesh or is it the Spirit? He says, look at your life. Look at what God has done for you through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. Look at what you have going for you now. Compare your life now, Volume 2, with what it once was, Volume 1, and think about the future that God's promised you. And now think about this. There are only two options to choose from to express thanks for all that you have. And that you are a debtor. You have an obligation to one or the other, either to the flesh or to the Spirit. One has a claim on you. It's either the flesh or it's the spirit. So you you owe everything to one or the other. So which is it? It's really not a trick question. The answer is as obvious as it can be. That Paul says that we are debtors not to the flesh. We owe absolutely nothing to the flesh. Paul's point so far in Romans eight is that we've already served the flesh far too long. We've already paid too high a price. And so Paul uses the language of debt and obligation not to make us think that we need to now repay God because we can't and because Jesus has already paid it all. But he uses the the language of debt and obligation. God having claim on us, I think, friends, because Paul wants us to feel something before he tells us to do something. Because he's going to tell us to do something, but he wants us to feel something. To feel something very real, something very deeply. He wants us to feel this incredibly real and healthy sense of indebtedness to God. Indebtedness to God, the kind of healthy and good and right indebtedness that actually draws our hearts gratefully to God. The the kind of indebtedness, the kind of obligation, the kind of debt that a child feels towards a parent that that is right and good that, that makes a child say yes of course i'm going to honor my parents that that's a, an automatic no-brainer decision i'm going to honor them I mean, why would I, how, why would I even think of never honoring them because of, they've done so much for me. They've, they've provided for me. And I think Paul is wanting us to think about that, to count all of these blessings, all of these privileges, all that is that God has done for us and is doing in us through the good news of the gospel. He wants us to think about that and to count that and to have that fresh on our minds and to prepare us for verse 13. Because verse 13 is glorious, and it is scary. But it really is a wonderful verse, and it's so important to living the Christian life well. So the second heading is the paradox of death leading to life. Because verse 13 talks a lot about death, but it's really a verse about life. Look at it with me. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So once again, Paul is using his two circles, the flesh and the spirit. And the paradox that Paul uses here is that that those who are not in Christ, those who are of the flesh, they'll live by their own standards, their own wisdom, their own agenda as opposed to God's, and that leads to death, ultimately to eternal separation from God's love, goodness, and mercy. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, one of the most important verses about living the Christian life. You see, this other paradox in the second half of verse 13 is that by putting to death the sinful deeds of the body, we will live. The Paul says that life will come out of death. And so we're going to spend a lot of time looking at this last half of verse 13. Now, that, that phrase, I'm assuming it stands out to you, it stands out to me, put to death. I mean, that's serious, right? That's intense. If you grew up with the old King James version or you have it on you today, um, then that word in in your version in that version is not put to death. The word is actually mortify mortify now if if we use the word mortify today, that means Wow, I was mortified. I was incredibly embarrassed. Or I felt very foolish because I did that or or because that happened. Right? That's what mortify means today. But but there was a time whenever mortification, mortify, was used really exclusively like it's used here in Romans 8.13. To put to death sin. Because that Greek word that's translated put to death literally means to kill, to destroy, to cut off, to cut out. And there's a very famous book written by a Puritan pastor, John Owens, called Mortification of Sin. And it's a very famous book. I highly recommend it to you. I mean, it's very famous, but you've probably never read it. Um, but I recommend it to you. It's only about 60 pages. And, uh, but it's really famous because almost every pastor I know will list John Owens' little book on sin as one of the five or six most important books they've ever read. And so it's a great little book. And he uses that word mortification. And so I'm going to use mortification for the next few minutes. Partly because it's so out there that it will stick with you, I think. And also because it makes us really think about, think about this deeply. But mortification is serious. and That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say to us here. That this is a matter of life and death. The Apostle Paul is calling us to declare and wage war on our sin. And some of us, we, we need to hear this. See, some of us need to hear this. Because if we're honest, I didn't walk over here because I want to speak to you, but I'm just just walking now. But some of us need to hear this because if we're honest, it, it really doesn't feel like we've been waging war on our sin. That some of us, maybe even many of us, we've been way too soft, way too soft on our sins. For way too long. And that we were content with petting them and coddling them. Because if we're honest, we really do not think that the stakes are very high. We really do not think that they're really a big deal. That we we really think, whether I have these sins or not, it really doesn't make a big difference in my life. It really doesn't make a big difference in my family. It won't make a difference in our church or in the city. It really won't make a big difference. Don't you see the Apostle Paul says it makes all the difference in the world? He said this is serious. This, this past year, um, Alicia and I, we've been here for, for eight years now. And before we came, we had pets. We had two little dogs, and we did not bring those dogs with us to, uh, to Houston. And... Um, the agreement was we, it was going to be a long time before the Harris family had another pet. And so it was. It was eight long years, but this past year we got a pet. And uh, he's a dog. And, well, we've had some other smaller pets that didn't last very long, but this is the first pet that, <laughs> this is the first pet that has made it for a little while. And uh, we, we, we got ourselves a puppy. And the puppy's name is Herschel. And uh, some of you guys understand why his name's Herschel. And he's like, "Of course, of course, his name's Herschel. Um, name's Herschel, and Herschel is a golden doodle puppy, a very manly masculine golden doodle puppy. <laughs> and uh, if you've never seen a golden doodle, I mean, it's a golden retriever mixed with a poodle. it looks exactly like you would think it would. Um, it's, it's, it's gloriously furry and curly and soft and fluffy, and, and you, love to, you love to pet it, and it doesn't shed. Right, so there's my commercial for why you should get a golden doodle puppy for yourselves or for your kids, but it's a great dog. And so I want you to imagine, imagine me sitting in my favorite chair at home, okay, after a long, hard day, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm just petting Herschel. He's right there beside me. I'm petting him, petting, running my fingers through his golden locks, okay? And, and, and I, I'm telling you if, you, if you come over, you'll want to do it too. I mean, it's glorious. And... Um, and with, with no shed, and I'm just doing this. And imagine me doing that, and I fall asleep. I just fall asleep. It's so soothing, I just fall asleep. And then something startles me, and I wake up, and I'm still, I'm still petting. I'm still running my fingers through his hair. But just imagine, okay, imagine that I look over, and that thick, the thick fur, soft fur that I'm petting and stroking, now it's no longer my puppy, now it's a ravenous and ferocious lion. Imagine that. Now, how do you think I'm going to react to that? I'm not going to feel the same way about petting this ravenous, ferocious beast as I would petting my sweet little Herschel, right? I'm not going to feel the same way, right? One is meant to be petted. One is meant to be locked up in a cage somewhere really far away from me and from anyone else, right? One is dangerous. And one is safe. What the Apostle Paul wants us to see here and think in verse 13 is, friends, wake up. Wake up. What you have been treating like a little puppy is a ferocious, ravenous lion. Not a little puppy. It's not meant to be petted. It's not meant to be coddled. It's not safe. It's really not. So, what is that for you? What is that lion in your life that you're treating like a puppy? Not, don't stop you right there. Not, not what, not not the person beside you, not the person who you rode here with, but, but you. I mean, is is it pornography? Is it substance abuse? Is is it overeating? Is it workaholism? Is it greed? Or is it a more respectable, explainable sin that we just think is part of our temperament like anxiety, frustration, discontentment, unthankfulness, pride, selfishness, impatience, irritability, anger, judgmentalism, envy, jealousy, gossip. What, What is that for you? What is that for you? The Apostle Paul wants us to see that mortification is serious. You see, it's serious. The stakes are high, and until we believe the stakes are high, we're not going to do anything drastic about it. We're not going to fight very hard. We're not going to take it very seriously. But whenever the stakes are high, whenever you know, human beings can do incredible things, whenever they when they uh, perceived a situation to be a matter of life and death, I mean, they really can. I'll never forget this story that I, uh, that I heard. It made national news when I was a little boy. I was maybe 13 or so. And uh, some of you may remember this, but there was a man named Donald Wyman who was, um, I mean, newspapers ran this from coast to coast and it was all over the TV. But he, um, he was in a remote forest in Pennsylvania, cutting timber. In the middle of nowhere, really. I mean, he was so far away from everything else that he drove his truck as far as he could, he got out, he got until a bulldozer drove it as far as he could, and he's out there clearing timber. Remote, nobody around him for miles. And tragically, one of the trees falls on him and pins his left leg. And and, and he can't get out. He's pulling, he's pulling, he's pulling, he can't get out, he can't, he can't reach his chainsaw. There's nothing he can do to get himself out. And so what does he do? He starts screaming. He starts yelling as loud as he can for as long as he can for somebody to come help him. But then it finally, I mean, reality really sets in. Nobody's coming. Nobody can hear him. I mean, he's too, he's too far removed from everybody else. And nobody even knows exactly where he is in the forest. And nobody's going to come looking for him. And eventually he realizes, you know what, this is a matter of life and death. That I've got to get out from under this tree. What he does, I mean, it's, it's incredible. You may want to start thinking about golden doodles again. But he takes, he takes his leather boot laces, ties them around his left leg to make a tourniquet. And he takes his pocket knife and he amputates his left leg from just below the knee. And then he crawls to the bulldozer, drives it to the truck, crawls down out of it into the truck, drives to the nearest farmhouse to get help. Now, that's an incredible story. And the only reason why he was able to do that is because he saw there was no other option, that this was a matter of life and death. And I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul wants us to see here, that this is serious. Our sin really is serious. It really is. And the Apostle Paul did not make this up. You know, someone pretty important said that before the Apostle Paul did. His name's Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. I mean, do you hear how serious this is? Do you hear how high the stakes are? How, how of crucial importance killing, destroying, cutting away sin is? The stakes could not be higher. You see, mortification is serious. But The next thing we see here in verse 13 is that mortification is relentless. It's relentless. And so if you look again at verse 13, that phrase translated put to death, that verb is in the present tense which implies ongoing action over and over and over again, day after day after day. That we have to keep putting to death our sin. Which, if you've been with us, we saw that in Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul says, this is an ongoing fight, an ongoing struggle, war that we have against our sin. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that, no matter how long you've been in Christ, no matter how faithful you've been, no matter how much you've prayed, that there's still a fight, an ongoing fight with the sin that dwells within our own hearts. And that Paul says here that we must keep doing this, not a one-time thing, but over and over and over again. One of the most famous quotes by John Owen from that little book on sin is this. He says, Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you that sin will not otherwise die, but by being gradually and constantly weakened, spare it, and it heals its wound and recovers strength. Now, saying, Richard, well, okay, you told me all this stuff about Romans 8.1. You keep talking about that, how there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You talk about how volume one's been closed and we're now living in volume two. And so, Richard, will you shoot me straight? Am I... Okay, am I really freed, liberated from sin's power? And the answer is yes. Yes, you really are if you are in Christ. You really are. But the problem is, all during this life, we have to deal with sin's presence. And so we have to fight against it. We have to fight against it. And the problem is that we really struggle Followers of Jesus struggle to be who we are. We forget, no matter how often we hear it, we tend to forget that we really are free. So if you're a follower of Jesus, then, yeah, the the door to your prison cell, it's open. It's open. The moment you came to Christ, it was open, and it stays open. The problem is, you walk out of it, but then you end up going back to it. Because you're pretty comfortable there. And so what it means then to to live into Romans 8.13 means that day after day after day you have to keep getting up and walking out of the prison cell over and over and over again. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. See, mortification is serious. Mortification is relentless. Now, that's kind of depressing, right? Right? It's like, why did I come to church today? I mean, this has just been a downer, just a complete downer. It doesn't have to be. There is some good news. That mortification is also by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit. Look again at verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That little phrase, by the Spirit, that's so important. That's so important. That sets apart Christianity from every other world religion. That sets apart being in the spirit from being in the flesh by the spirit. See, Paul's not calling us to put our sin to death by way of legalism. He's not saying if we work really hard to stop doing the bad things, to put to death the bad things and to start doing the good things, if we do that, we'll prove to God and to the world that we really are a good person, and therefore God will then be obligated to love us and forgive us, that we will earn God's love and our salvation. But that's not at all what the Apostle Paul is saying here, because that's not what the Bible says. But yes, he's calling us to exert effort, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. But he says, this is by the Spirit. This is by the Spirit. The Spirit is the gift of God's grace. The Spirit comes first. And because we have God's gracious gift of the Spirit, because he's given us new hearts, because he's given us new lives, then by the Spirit, because we are recipients of God's grace, we can fight against sin, not fighting against sin so we can get God's grace. Do you see the difference? makes all the difference in the world. See, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I mean this sincerely, okay? That you are not only welcomed here, you are wanted here, and I'm so glad you're here. And I hope you will keep coming back. And if you're willing, I would love to meet you. I'd love to meet you even today, but I'll be ready to meet you whenever. But the good news of the gospel, and Romans 8 makes this very clear, the good news of the gospel is about what God has done for us and how God has done done for us what we could not do ourselves. The difference between someone who's not a Christian and someone who is a Christian is not that the Christian is a good person. The difference is the Christian has the gracious gift of God's Holy Spirit. And what Paul says, because we have the Spirit, if we have it, then we should and we can put our sin to death. See, the Bible never calls non-Christians to put their sin to death. Well, why not? Well, you can't do that if you don't have the power of the Spirit. See, the Spirit's the one who transforms sin-tolerating, sin-coddling, sin-petting people into sin-fighting, sin-killing people. But this is a cooperative effort between the Spirit and us. See, we have a role to play, but it's not the most important part. So we have a role to play, but it's not the most important part. The Spirit's part is the most important part, but we still have a role to play. Listen to how Pastor Ray Ortland Jr. puts it. He says that in verse 13, that we are the subject of the verb put to death. But without the Spirit, we cannot. And without us, the Spirit will not. So it's not going to automatically happen the longer you become a Christian, The sin just kind of goes away and is put to death. And you cannot do it without the Spirit. There's a cooperative effort. We have a part to play. It's just not the most important part. Okay, well, Richard, that sounds okay, I think. I like not having the most important part. I like having the fact that the Spirit's with me. But but what does that mean? What does it mean practically for me to cooperate with the Spirit, to, to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? Well, I'll give you four things. Okay, four things. First, always fight your sin within the context of the gospel. Now, I'm going to repeat some things, but it's just that important to say. That always fight your sin within the context of the gospel. And we see this very clearly in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Look carefully at what the Apostle Paul writes here. Look at what comes first and what it does. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So what comes first? God's grace comes first. The gospel comes first. And what does it do? Verse 12, it trains us. It teaches us. It instructs us to do what? To renounce ungodliness. To put to death our sin. To mortify our sin. That we always fight sin in the context of the gospel. That God's grace comes first. And God's grace empowers our effort. Our effort to fight against this sin. It always works that way. And we operate in that context. See, that's why it's so important. That's why we we, we think about thoughtfully the the narrative arc of our worship service. And and we start with affirming some things about God and singing some glories about God. Then we lead, that leads us into calling a calling to confession, and we confess our sin publicly and silently, but we don't just stop there. We also, we complete that whole process with, with assurance of pardon and comfort, a, a proclamation, a declaration of God's grace, of gospel over us, reminding ourselves that we are not fighting against our sin in hope that God, uh, that, that we'll do good enough that God will finally like us. That we fight against our sin knowing that we already have God's smile and we have his approval and that we are secure in him. We fight against sin, remember, so then, brothers, already knowing that condemnation has been removed. Already knowing that we've been set free from sin's power so we can win. You see, that's, that's operating, that's fighting sin in the context of this gospel. The second thing is that we have to use the sword of the Spirit. If we're going to fight, if we're going to put to death sin by the Spirit, we have to use the sword of the Spirit. You know what the sword of the Spirit is? Ephesians chapter 6 tells us it's your Bible. So So to fight sin by the power of the Spirit means to fight sin with the Bible. To fight sin with the Bible means to fight sin with the power of the Spirit. Does that make sense? So we have to do this. This is how it works. We remember the gospel, we preach the gospel to ourselves, and we read and we meditate and we even memorize parts of God's word. We pick, those, we pick certain passages that are very, very relevant to our particular sin, and if you don't know what those passages are, then look no further. Just start with Romans 8. Memorize Romans 8.1. It's an incredible verse. Memorize Romans eight thirty-eight and thirty-nine. Try to memorize all of Romans eight one to four. Memorize eight thirteen. This is an incredible verse to memorize. You see, the way the Spirit and the Word work together—it's not magic, but it's powerful. Another verse you might want to memorize is Psalm one nineteen verse eleven. It says, "I have stored up, or treasured, or hidden." your word in my heart that i might not sin against you. If you want to fight well against your sin, you do it in the context of the gospel and you use God's word. The second, the third thing is you also pray. You pray for the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 reminds us, "Let us then with confidence, not with fear and trembling, but with confidence Because of what Jesus has done for us, draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So we cry out for the Holy Spirit's enabling power to enable us to fight, to fight this lion, to slay this lion, to slay this dragon, because once again, this is relentless. And so every day there are new dragons. Every day there are new lions. Over and over and over again. And as soon as you think one's dead, guess what? He recovers. But this is what it's like. So we stay in the context of the gospel. We use the word. We we, we use prayer. The fourth is that we pursue biblical community. Someone once said that sin is like mold. It grows best in the dark. But if you bring it out into the light, it begins to dry up. Now, everyone in the church does not need to and should not know your sins. But there needs to be someone or someones, a small group who you feel close enough to, to be transparent with and vulnerable, to share your struggles, to ask for accountability, to ask for prayer. See, the goal of discipleship really is holiness. And a key part of how we are going to do discipleship here at CEPC, is through our city groups. And that's why one of the reasons why John Rogers is here. And so you heard him say this earlier in the service. He's leading a city, a city group leadership sync, a meeting uh, over lunch, right after church on August uh, 21st. And if you have been in a city group, led a city group, thought about a city group, or you've never heard of a city group until right now, you are invited to come. You should come and learn more about this. Because I know that far too many of us, we don't have anyone to turn to who we could be honest and transparent with to walk with us in this battle. Now, there's one more thing in verse 13. This is a heavy sermon. We need it. This is serious. If you can't talk about serious things here, where can you talk about them, right? The very last phrase of verse 13, mortification is also aimed at life. You see, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. See, it's aimed at life. The, the paradox of verse 13 is death leading to life. You See, friends, I mean, many of us know that Jesus promises in John 10.10 10, that I've come that you may have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. But here's the thing. We're not going to experience the rich, abundant, satisfying life to the full unless we are fighting against our sin well and putting it to death. And that some of us have fallen into a spiritual rut and we've settled for far too little for far too long. We've become far too easily pleased. Which reminds me of a really powerful quote from British author C.S. Lewis where he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. You see, in this picture, right, our sin is like that mud pie. we, We just keep making them, keep playing with them, and we really enjoy them. In fact, we're just like a child who says, you know what, I would rather not go to the beach, Right, I'd rather not go to Hawaii. I'd rather stay right here in the ditch making mud pies. This is really fun. I don't know what that's like, but this is really fun. But the reality is the mud pies, like our sin, it will, we cannot eat it. It will not nourish us. It will not sustain us. What does it do? It only makes a bigger and bigger mess. It gets us dirty, it gets everyone around us dirty, but the mud pies for this little child and our sin for many of us just seem so valuable to us, so precious to us. Don't take this away, I have to have it. You know, as a little boy, I, all, I, all I had were little sisters, and so I can remember messing up their mud pies, and they would, they would fight over it. And they would scream for my mom, my dad, to punish me for messing up their little mud pies, but all they were are mud pies. That's all they were, but they were so valuable to them. You see, but that's it, isn't it? One of the biggest hurdles for us to take Romans eight thirteen seriously and to actually begin fighting against our sin and putting it to death is for us to see our sin for what it really is. See, the sin that we keep petting and protecting and playing with, it's killing us. It's killing our families. It's killing our fruitfulness in ministry to others. See, friends, the point is that regardless of your particular sin that you have clung to for so long, that today's the day to see it for what it is. Today's the day to see it for what it is. As one pastor said, that sin is nothing more than a devil-shaped remedy that you keep trying to force onto a God-shaped hole. It's not meant to work. It won't work. It won't satisfy you. It will not make things better. So what the Apostle Paul is saying, what God is saying to you today is, come to me, trust me, only I can satisfy you. Come to me and let me rid you of that that other remedy, that false remedy, that mud pie that's not going to satisfy and nourish you. Come to me and let me provide for you. That he's saying your debt, your obligation, your allegiance is not to the flesh. It's taken too much already. That your debt, your allegiance, your obligation is to the grace of God, which lays a gracious claim on you. And that we can put to death our sin by the Spirit Because Jesus has already defeated the power of sin through his death on the cross. That our sin really is a debilitated, defeated foe. Do you believe that? Last last illustration, last picture. In that little book, Mortification of Sin, John Owen uses illustration of a garden. Of a Christian being like a garden. And how God plants his grace in our hearts. But just like any garden, this garden that's been planted and the seed of God's grace has been sown in in our hearts, that weeds are going to spring up. There's going to be times of drought that, that that heart, okay, planted with God's grace, that it needs, it needs to be, the soil needs to be tilled, it needs to be weeded, it needs to be watered. If it's going to bloom and blossom and reach its full potential, if it's going to be beautiful the way that God meant for it to be. That's what we're called to do here. Don't you want to do that? Right? This is aimed at life because the sin that we've been petting, calling, protecting, playing with, it's, it's killing us. It's killing us. And if, but if by the Spirit, we will kill it, we will put it to death by the Spirit, Paul promises us that we will live. I, I, and I want that. I want that for me. I want that for my family. I want that for you. I want that for our city. Let's pray. Father, For many of us, thinking about thinking about putting our sin to death, it's so hard. It's so hard because we come into this room with fresh wounds. We we come into this room maybe feeling very defeated, and yet we hear this, Father. My prayer is that we would not we would not step out of this room and attempt to fight sin outside of the context of the gospel and the goodness of, of your grace, that we would not go to Romans 8, 13 without looking at Romans 8, 1 to 12, that we would, not, we would not skip over, so then, brothers, we would see no condemnation. That's been removed from us. We've been liberated, set free from the enslaving power of sin. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us. Our inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth, it's guaranteed, it's secure Father, let that let that motivate us to use Your Word, to use prayer, to use one another, biblical community, and to fight to fight against this sin. Lord, we ask You to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Please stand and let's receive. Rest-